You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week number four of None Like Him. Today's teaching focuses on the truth that God is self-sufficient. So a special welcome to the ladies joining us online, and I apologize for last week's recording. If any of you did listen to it, um, there was some little glitch, so it picked up all the noise. You could kind of hear like rustling of papers, and it sounded like I was like two miles away. So it was just kind of a weird recording, but hopefully this week everything will go smoothly. Last week I began with a quote from A.W. Tozer about the absolute necessity to have a correct and proper view of God and his greatness. And today I would like to start with a similar type quote um, from Arthur Pink. And as was true of Tozer, this was written decades ago because Pink died in 1952. But again, I think you'll realize the relevance for today. Um, So he starts out by saying, in one of his letters to Erasmus, and I don't know about you, but I had no idea who Erasmus was, so thanks to Google, I was able to discover that he was a Dutch philosopher and a Catholic theologian who was considered one of the greatest scholars during the Renaissance time. So Luther, meaning Martin Luther, Um, said to him, so I'll start again since I kind of interrupted myself there. In one of his letters to Erasmus, Luther said, your thoughts of God are too human. The most dishonoring and degrading conceptions of the rule and reign of the Almighty are now held almost everywhere. To countless thousands, even among those professing to be Christians, the God of the scriptures is quite unknown. The little g God of this 20th century no more resembles the supreme sovereign than does the dim flickering of a candle resemble the glory of the midday sun. The God who is now the religious, who is now talked about in the average pulpit, spoken in the ordinary Sunday school, mentioned in much of the religious literature of the day, and preached in most of the so called Bible conferences, is the figment of human imagination an invention of sentimentality. The heathen outside of Christendom form gods out of wood and stone, while the millions inside Christendom manufacture a god out of their own carnal mind. The absolute and universal supremacy of God is plainly and positively affirmed in many scriptures. And that, ladies, is why we are doing this study, to make sure that we have a right view of God and not one that we create out of our own sinful mind. Please pray with me. Lord, you are supreme. You are sovereign. Forgive us for all the many moments in a day that we fail to honor you in that way. I pray now, Lord God, that you would open our ears, open our hearts, Remove the distracting thoughts running through our mind, the to-do list that we have to tackle later today, whatever it might be, any anxieties, and just help us to focus these moments on you and who you are, that we might stand in awe and fall humbly at your throne. Hide me, Lord, and reveal yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this week we studied God's attribute of self-sufficient, the God of infinite provision. And the definitions I found for self-sufficient are able to supply one's own needs without external assistance, having extreme confidence in one's own resources, powers, etc., 
or able to maintain oneself without outside aid. Dr. Bruce Ware, who's a professor of theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, defines it this way. God possesses within himself, intrinsically and eternally, every quality in infinite measure. Pink states that there was nothing, no one but God from everlasting, and he was and is self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. Had a universe, had angels, had human beings been necessary to him in any way, then they also would have existed since eternity. The creating of those things when God did it added nothing to God essentially. Since God does not change, Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, his essential glory can be neither augmented nor diminished. Acts 17, 24 through 25, which Jen highlighted in the chapter, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Pink points out that it is in fact impossible to bring the Almighty under obligation to the creature. God gains nothing from us. He sustains all, but is himself independent of all. He gives to all, but is enriched by none. I'm going to read several scripture verses highlighting God's self-sufficiency. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 14 who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Clearly, God needed no one, no outside assistance. No one had to teach him or advise him. Romans eleven thirty four through 35 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? God is not obligated to repay anyone. Philippians four nineteen. this was when you looked at in your homework. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It is God who can supply all of our needs. James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Not only does he provide all of our needs, but every good gift we receive comes from his hands also. Revelation twenty-two thirteen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Truly, God is the self-sufficient one. God does not need the glorious creation he made, including us. God does not need anything from us, no help, no gifts, no service, Again, Acts 17.25, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. 
He does command our obedience, and he calls us to service and to offer him praise and worship, and he desires intimate relationship with us, but it's not because he needs it. It is for our benefit, for our blessing, and for his glory. In light of all this, we should be in awe and humble gratitude that he chooses to use us, chooses to call us to serve. What a privilege and a joy to participate in ministry with him. In case it hasn't been obvious to you yet over the past few weeks, you will hear me say pretty much every single week something along the lines of this attribute, which in turn should cause us to be in awe and humbly grateful. Ladies, let's make sure this study of who God is is not just an academic venture. Let's make sure that these attributes pierce our very heart and drive us to our knees to adore and thank the one who is the very essence of all these qualities. So by contrast to God, the self-sufficient one, there's us, completely needy. The definition of needy is an inner or outward lack, compulsion to something. In Revelation 3.17, John is writing to the church at Laodicea who has become lukewarm, and he says to them, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. We may fool ourselves into thinking that we are self-sufficient, because we don't even realize how truly needy we are. 1 Corinthians 12 is a well-known passage that discusses the various parts of the body and how we all need each other. Verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In God's perfect wisdom, he designed us to not only need him, but to also need one another. We are not completely self-sufficient on any level. My daughter, Emily, moved to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, a couple years ago. She's fairly self-sufficient. She's completely living on her own, has an apartment, has a job teaching, pays her bills, drives her car, but she still needs the gas station to have gas in the pumps to fill her tank. She still needs the eye doctor to prescribe the correct contact lens so she can see. She still needs the farmers to grow their food, to sell their food to the grocery store so she can eat. And we all start out as babies, 100% needy and dependent. I have a new little granddaughter, Violet Eloise. She is almost four months old, will be in a couple days. And other than now being able to grab her toes, which she loves to do all the time, she pretty much cannot do anything else on her own. As adults, we can do a lot on our own. Although I'm not sure about you, but I'm quite positive that I cannot lay on my back and grab all my toes on both feet at the same time. So actually, in that one small way, little Violet is less needy than I am. But we as grown-ups, somewhat self-sufficient, are still very emotionally needy. And no one, not our husband, not our best friend, not our pastor, not our counselor, No one will meet 100% of those emotional needs 100% of the time. No matter how caring, how loving, every human being will eventually disappoint us in failing to meet our emotional needs as we desire. 
Often it's because our spouse or our friend or family member, they have their own emotional needs. Their tank might be empty at the, at the time that we need them to fill us. Only the truly self-sufficient one who has no needs, never has, never will, can perfectly meet our deepest needs. So yes, we have physical needs, we have emotional needs. Some we can meet on our own, some we need others to assist us, and some only God can meet. But without a doubt, our greatest, our greatest need is for righteousness and holiness and salvation. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that need we can never attain, nor can any human. Praise God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In his infinite grace and mercy, God took care of our greatest need. I love Jen's comment in the chapter, if he met our greatest need, will he not meet our lesser ones? Let me read Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Yet our human nature, we are so full of pride. We often refuse to admit our needs to God, to each other, and maybe even to ourselves. Often it is truly a matter of pride. And sometimes it can be a less selfish motive of, I don't want to burden someone else. I tend to really struggle with this myself. Oh, that person is so busy. Oh, they have enough concerns of their own. They don't want to hear my sad saga. Oh, they might not have the time to do such and such for me. Several years ago, a friend challenged me in this area, and she said that I may actually be denying someone the privilege the blessing of the chance to bless another. We all appreciate being needed, don't we? It feels good when someone needs you and you're able to help them. And so we should be willing to provide that opportunity to care for others in our need. And it's one thing to not admit our needs to another, but we also often refuse to admit them to God, to go to him for help. Maybe we think it's too minor of a problem for the God of the universe. Maybe we are ashamed that we are still struggling with that same issue. Or maybe we think too highly of ourselves. Surely I can fix this on my own. Surely I can conquer this sin by myself. Abraham Lincoln said, Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. David Platt said, the problem with Christians isn't that we ask too much, it's that we ask too little. Dear friends, let's remember that the self-sufficient one created us to not be. We are needy by divine design, not by sin. So why? Why did God deem it better 
that we be completely needy on him. Because don't we as good parents, we raise our children to be independent, to spread their wings, to fly from the nest. Let me read the Beatitudes, chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow, did you hear those needs? Poor in spirit, mourning, hunger, thirst, persecuted, reviled. And did you hear how those needs would be met? comforted, satisfied, receive, reward. In Luke 10, 42, is the verse I'm going to read, but that whole kind of section is a story we all know of Mary and Martha, right? Where Martha's running around crazy trying to make everything so nice for Jesus. And Mary, much to her sister's frustration, is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Luke 10, 42 says, But only a few things are necessary. Really only one, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. What was necessary was the spiritual need she had to listen to Jesus, to sit at his feet. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Philippians 4.6 Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests, your needs, be made known to God. And listen to the verse that follows. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So why are we so needy by divine design? I think because it keeps us humble. We realize our limits. It draws us to God to be dependent on him. I love Jen's comment that sanctification is increased dependence, not autonomy. And that is opposite of the world's wisdom, isn't it? Which says that the more we grow, the more we mature, the more independent we need to be, the more we can meet our own needs. And and in many practical ways, that's a good thing. To be honest with you, I don't want to have to tie the shoes or cut the meat up for my 28-year-old son. Although, isn't it interesting how life does come full cycle? I was up with my mom this past weekend spending some time with her. And she's quite frail and has some very serious health issues. And actually, I did tie her shoes several times. And if we have meat to eat, I do need to cut it up for her. But boy, I tell you, she is struggling with that loss of independence and being so needy in so many ways. It's human nature. But in God's world, growing up in faith 
means that we need him more. We rely on him more. We depend less on our abilities. The song by Matt Marr, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Dr. Bruce Ware, whom I quoted earlier, said, Though God doesn't need us, he loves us. His purpose in creating and redeeming us is not that we might fill up some lack in him, but that he might fill us up with himself. That's why we are needy, so that we can be filled with Jesus. Dr. Ware goes on to say, He made us empty to be filled with his fullness thirsty to drink of the water of life, weak to receive his strength, foolish to be instructed and corrected by his wisdom. In his love, he longs to give, to share the bounty. He wants us to experience in finite measure the fullness of joy and blessing that he knows infinitely. All to the praise and glory of his name, the giver and provider of all the good we enjoy. Let that resonate with you. He made us empty so that we could be filled. He made us thirsty so we would drink of the living water. He made us weak so that we would receive his strength. And he made us foolish so that we would be taught by his wisdom. When you think of it that way, what love he had for us. What mercy to make us so needy. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We are needy so that God's glory can be revealed in our life. And another awesome, amazing factor about God being self-sufficient, not only does he need nothing from us, not only does he meet all of our needs, the God of infinite provision, but because he is omniscient, he knows all of our needs before we even ask or before we even know them ourselves. Matthew 6, 7 through 8 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentile do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Have you ever been so needy that you don't even know what you need? You don't even dare start that list because it might be too long. It might be too difficult for even God. Several years ago, I was so desperately needy that I couldn't even begin to identify what my needs were. Up to that point, I had faced different trials, little ones like in high school, my boyfriend of several years cheating on me with my friend, Um, up to some bigger ones, having three small children and my husband losing his job. Um, My dad, twice I was called home from hours away by the doctor because my dad was in such critical condition death of grandparents that I was very, very close to. And then in February of 2000, and I apologize because I'm going to get really choked up during a lot of this, but I hope I still will speak clearly. In February of 2000, the mega trial, a parent's worst nightmare, not in our family, please, Lord, not to my child. 
Those first few days, I could not even pray because the only prayer I could think of to say was, make this not true. But I knew it was my reality. And so I literally just said, Jesus, nonstop. While I did the laundry, Jesus. While I made dinner, Jesus. While I bathed my kids, Jesus. I mumbled the name of Jesus constantly because it was the only prayer I could say. But my loving Heavenly Father, He knew what I needed even though I didn't even know what I needed. Not only is He self-sufficient and has no need, He knows our deepest needs and how to meet them. So one morning soon after, you know, this trial starting, I was in the shower um, early in the morning before I got the kids off to school, before my husband left for work, and I was sobbing uncontrollably. I'm sure as women, you know what that means, right? Like you can't even catch your breath. You're like, <gasps> like hyperventilating because the tears are just coming so hard. It racks your body. And my husband could hear me. He had a long commute to work, about 45 miles. And I'm sure he was kind of thinking like, wow, I don't know if I can leave this woman alone with my children. She doesn't seem to have it together right now. And God whispered in his ear to make a phone call, but I didn't know that. I had no idea he did that. So my husband leaves for work. I kind of pull myself together, get my two boys off to school, get my daughter Emily, and I babysat for a little boy, Barrett, got them playing. And all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door, and I was not expecting anyone. And if you would have been standing next to me when I opened the door, you would have seen my sweet, sweet friend Dana holding a bouquet of flowers, a cup of coffee, and a box of donuts. When I opened the door, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus standing on my front porch because he knew what I needed. He knew that I needed a shoulder to cry on. He knew I needed to feel a hug. He knew I needed a sweet, caring friend to just sit and listen to me and weep with me. And he knew a donut wouldn't hurt. Ladies, please know that the God of no need knows your needs. The deepest ones, the ones you won't utter to another person. The ache of your heart. And he is able to meet that need in his perfect way, in his perfect timing. Let me read Hebrews 4.16 again. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Yes, God will give us the mercy and the grace we need, but dear friends, we need to draw near to him. While that difficult season, that trial, was the deepest, darkest valley I have ever had to walk through, it was also the sweetest time with my Lord because I was completely 100% dependent on him for everything. Just to get out of bed in the morning and face the day, I would say, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, that I would always live that way, but unfortunately, I don't. I rely on myself. I neglect to draw near to the throne of grace. That trial was hard. It was so hard Yet the joy in it 
was the closeness to my Savior and Lord and how he truly carried me. In closing, I'm going to read a quote from C.S. Lewis that he wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain. God's love is not like ours, helping another while needing also to be helped. No, God's love is bottomlessly selfless. By very definition, it has everything to give and nothing to receive. Sweet friends, God's love has everything to give you. Draw near to him and receive grace and mercy in your time of need. Let me pray. Oh, gracious, heavenly, self-sufficient Father, thank you that you are the God of infinite provision. Thank you that you need nothing, yet you invite us to be your hands and feet to the world around us. Thank you that you know our deepest needs and you know how to meet them. Oh, Lord, may we always approach your throne of grace to find mercy. May we bring our needs to you. And when we don't even know what our needs are because they are so deep and so painful, then may we just fall at your feet and allow you to minister to us through your spirit. We trust you, Lord God, that you can meet all of our needs in your perfect plan. We love you so much, Lord. Draw us unto yourself, O self-sufficient one. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, ladies, you can go to a time of prayer now. And I know the first couple weeks I was closing us in prayer, and then last week, sorry, we just got caught up praying at my table, and all of a sudden I realized that the time had kind of gone by and some of you had left. So if that happens again, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if I'll be up here praying for you or not, but feel free to leave when you need to and, and have a great week, and I hope to see you all next week. 